0: Let's pray together. Father, the reason why your grace is so amazing is because your grace is what does all and conquers all and is the reason for all that is good for us. It's amazing that your Son was willing to do what he did for us, and it's amazing the effects that it has upon sinners like us, Lord. We are astonished by how good and kind you are to show your favor to us. Indeed, you are glorious. Your Son is glorious. The work of your Spirit is glorious in us, Father. And we come before you today ready to receive food from your word so that we might be built up in your grace and be able not just to give you glory from our own lips, but, Lord, be able to promote your glory to others that they too, Father, might become worshipers of the glorious God of heaven. I Thank you for your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things we aim to do here at Riverside is to rightly motivate each other for the Christian life. Rather than twisting arms through anxious guilt, we seek to arouse a spirit of service and sacrifice and love through God's message of grace, which saves and stimulates and strengthens his believing people. Now, we certainly recognize that there is an important place for godly grief when Christians sin. And we also embrace the healthy conviction that comes over us by the Spirit of God through the Word, particularly as it's preached and read. But our ultimate goal, is to see each of our church members walking in the joy of the Lord as they pursue holiness, as they selflessly put others first, and as they seek to magnify the Lord together in their life testimonies. Therefore, it is helpful to look at clear places in the Bible where God connects what he has graciously provided with how he now wants his people to live. And in our passage today, verses 15 and 16 of Galatians 1, we will be led in such a gracious direction, for it tells us that God saves for a purpose. Though God saves his people for many wonderful reasons, and ultimately it's all for his own glory, we will learn here that he saves with true intentionality, with solid reasoning, For a most important goal. Now, throughout Galatians 1, the Apostle Paul is making a broad argument to show the legitimacy of both his apostleship and his gospel message. That both of those things are from God and are not from man. We can see this when we compare verse 1 and verse 12. In verse 1, He begins by saying, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And then verse 11, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul is taking great pains to counter his opponents and show that both his apostleship and the message of Christ which he preached were not of human origin, were not of human invention, but were given to him by God himself. And on his way to making this argument... Paul relates the marvelous way that God has gone about saving him from his life of sin and redirecting him towards a life of divinely bestowed purpose. In verses 13 and 14, Paul confesses to the kind of sinner that he had been, a zealous, self-righteous persecutor of God's people. And in verses 15 and 16, where we're going to focus this morning, he speaks of God's marvelous grace towards him and the grand purpose behind it all. According to these verses, there were four steps in the accomplishment of God's purpose in the life of Paul. God elected Paul. God called Paul. God revealed his son to Paul. And God sent paul now we're going to consider each of these in order so the first step in the accomplishment of god's purpose in paul's life is that god elected paul verse 15 he begins and says but when he who had set me apart before i was born now we don't see the word election anywhere in this verse but that's the concept he's referring to. The Christian doctrine of election is the divine choice of God to grant eternal life to undeserving sinners based solely on the good pleasure of his love and not on the goodness of those who are receiving his grace. And I am convinced that this is the absolutely clear teaching of Scripture. Jesus said in John 15, verse 16, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Paul wrote in his letter to the Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 4, God chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. So before he formed the world, God had chosen his people, he had appointed his people, that they should be holy, blameless, and fruitful for him. You were thought of not merely before you entered this world, but you were thought of before there was a world, if you know Christ. He knew you, he chose you. And what we see here in verse 15 is this same concept, that God set Paul apart. This word set apart in verse 15 refers to being selected out of a group for a specific purpose. For instance, in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus used this word to refer to the coming separation between the sheep and the goats, wherein his precious people, his beloved people, will be set apart on the day of judgment for their eternal enjoyment and praise of God, set apart from those who will be under God's judgment. So this word is used to distinguish the people whom God has chosen to be his own from those who remain in rebellion to God. And Paul refers to himself here as being set apart in the sense that he was selected by God both for salvation in Christ Jesus and a powerful gospel ministry. We also see in verse 15 that God set him apart before he was born or literally from his mother's womb. This is an expression that means that before Paul ever had one day, before he ever took a single breath or beheld one ray of light, before his mother and his father saw that he was a little boy and gave him a name, and before he ever did anything that was right or wrong, God was pleased to set him apart. God chose to save him and to utilize him for service prior to his entry into the world. So Paul is telling us of God's predetermined choice to set him apart both for his own salvation and for the gospel service that he would embark upon. He's speaking of his election by God. You see, my friends, God in his wisdom has already set his people apart. In his perfect eternal counsel, he has already determined to redeem his people and to make them a part of his joyous spiritual family. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Sons, he calls us, we've been adopted. Romans 8, 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Christ, my captain, Christ, my savior, Christ, my lord, Christ, my glorious brother in the Lord. And with this, he has also determined to place his set-apart people into his service so that his great name would be spread across the earth as the Apostle Peter said in 1 Peter 2, nine, but you, right into Christians, you, Christians, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. From this doctrine of election, All the other steps of salvation flow. The second step in the accomplishment of God's purpose in Paul's life is that God called Paul. Verse 15, the second part says, And who called me by his grace. Now there are two types of callings in the Bible. A general call and an effectual call. Regarding the general call of the scriptures, one scholar by the name of Matthew Barrett writes this, This call is the gospel message proclaimed and extended to sinners. The gospel call is issued whenever Jesus Christ and him crucified and resurrected is preached from pulpits or shared in evangelistic conversations. This gospel call is indiscriminate meant to be spread to anyone and everyone who will hear it. It knows no barriers, but goes out freely and universally to all who will hear it. This gospel call also invites sinners to repent and trust in Christ, promising that anyone who does will be forgiven and receive life everlasting, which only Christ himself can give. So a general call, a gospel call that is to be spread out to all of the world for everyone to hear that if they believe in Jesus, embracing him in repentant faith, they will be saved from their sins and made a child of God. This general call of the gospel is what is uttered by Jesus himself when he says in Matthew 11, verse 28, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This general, this gospel call is also pronounced by Jesus in John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. This general gospel call can be resisted, though. In fact, It is resisted by everyone who hears the gospel but does not believe in Christ. In fact, it's resisted by everyone who does not also receive an effectual call by the Spirit of God. Now regarding this effectual call, Barrett again writes, The effectual call is sometimes referred to as God's special call. As the word is proclaimed and falls on the ears of its hearers, God works within the hearts of his elect, the Father calling them to his Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. This call is not universal, but particular. God has chosen his elect in eternity, not on the basis of anything foreseen in them, not even faith. It is effectual in its power and outcome. In other words, God's call of his elect does not fail. Just as his electing choice and eternity is not conditioned on the will of the sinner, so too is his special call not dependent on the will of the sinner. This is where God goes. And he reveals to the heart what needs to be revealed, shapes the heart in a way where it needs to be shaped, makes it able to receive Christ, makes it delight to receive Christ. And when that call is made, everyone who receives this call does believe. It irresistibly compels them in joy to embrace the Savior Jesus Christ. And everyone who receives this call answers with repentant faith. This is the work of God. This is what Jesus referred to when he said in John 6, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Verse 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one can come to me, Jesus said, unless the Father who sent me draws him. This calling does not fail, but is the certain work of God in someone's life. Sinner has his or her eyes opened by the Spirit of God, and they are made to see the glory of Christ and the gospel for all his truth and love, and they embrace him. Well, in verse 15, Paul was referring to God's gracious, effectual call upon his life. We know this because he has sandwiched to this calling between God's activity of setting him apart in verse 15 and his actual beholding of Jesus Christ in verse 16. This is is not Paul merely hearing the message about Jesus in some general way. This is him being made to embrace that message in faith. Paul is telling us that God had graciously called him and that his eyes, which were once blind, had been opened by the Spirit of God. And his heart, which was once hard like stone, had been turned into a feeling flesh. And he was made able to experience God's love in his Son, Jesus Christ. Let us understand that God has specially and powerfully called his set-apart people by his grace. This effectual calling is as undeserving as it is irresistible Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1 verse 9 who saved us and called us to a holy calling not because of our works but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Not because we've worked it or deserved it or done anything to give it but because of his own purpose of grace and love he determined to give it to us before the ages began. And this should make all of his gracious recipients bow down to him in admiration for his divine sovereignty, in awe over his undeserved favor, and in sheer gratitude for his unconditional love. I did nothing in myself to become a Christian. Everything that was done, even the heart that was willing to repent and believe, is all from God. (laughs) And praise him for this Christian. The third step in the accomplishment of God's purpose in Paul's life is that God revealed his son to Paul. In verse 16 it says, Was pleased to reveal his son to me. This revealing is really the other side of the same coin with calling. On one side of God's saving coin, he effectually calls a sinner to himself by grace, and that sinner is regenerated or born again, meaning that his or her heart is changed and enabled to believe in the gospel of God's Son. And on the other side of this coin, the sinner actually sees Christ in the glory of his cross and resurrection for sinners, and he or she actually embraces Christ in faith. Now, the first side enables the second side, but they are utterly connected with each other. For one side makes spiritual sight with Christ a reality, while the other side is the spiritual sight of Christ itself. Paul is speaking here in verse 16 of the second side of this coin the spiritual sight. God's grace to Paul is that he savingly revealed his son, Jesus, to Paul. His grace to him is that he savingly revealed his son, Jesus, to him. I really love Paul's story. It is a, a prime example of God's victory over rebellious hearts through his glorious son. Whenever I think I'm bad and can't get his grace, I look at chapter 9 of the book of Acts and I think, well, I am bad, but I get his grace because he did too. If you've never read Paul's salvation story, I would encourage you even this afternoon to spend some time reading Acts chapter 9. If you have a little more time, read uh, chapters 22 and 26 where he reiterates what happened to him in chapter 9. But to summarize it, In Acts 9, Paul, who was previously known by the name Saul, was a zealous opponent of Christians and a zealous opponent of the gospel of Christ, which those Christians were preaching. In fact, in that chapter, he was on a journey to the city of Damascus in order to actually arrest some of those believers for proclaiming the name of Christ. But while he was on that journey... Paul encountered none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself when a light shone from heaven and he heard the voice of the Savior. And from that day, Paul's life was forever changed as he went from being a persecutor of God's people to one of God's people, and all because God's Son, Jesus, was revealed to him. My friends, God graciously reveals his Son to those whom he effectually calls. Those whom he has set apart, those whom he calls to transformed hearts with spiritual eyes, he makes to see his Son. As Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God, in Genesis 1, in his creation, Let there be light, and there was light. And God looks down at the dead, dark heart that is mine and says, Let there be light. He does this. This means that all our salvation is the gift of God, and for this he deserves all of our praise. All of our salvation comes from God opening up our hearts to see Jesus and all of his saving grandeur. The fourth step in the accomplishment of God's purpose in Paul's life is that God sent Paul. At the end of verse 16, or really more in the middle of verse 16, it says, in order, so we have a purpose clause, we have a reason clause, he says, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. God's purpose here is that Paul would become a gospel communicator. In that conversion story of Paul's in Acts chapter 9, something more is actually revealed to us. For we are told there why God went about saving this self-righteous man who had been so actively persecuting his beloved, precious people. In Acts 9 verse 15, it says he, referring to... Paul is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Paul was God's chosen instrument to carry the name of Jesus to others. In fact, near the end of the book of Acts, while Paul was addressing an earthly king, he related even more of what Jesus had said to him on that day when Christ was first revealed to him. Jesus said to Paul in Acts 26, But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. In other words, God had opened up Paul's eyes and revealed the Savior Jesus Christ to him, and now Paul was being sent by Jesus Christ to open up the eyes of other sinful people. God opened up his eyes, he revealed Christ to him, and now Christ is sending Paul to open up the eyes of other people as he proclaimed the gospel message. Paul was sent communicate the gospel to the nations we are told in verse 16 it says that i might preach him among the gentiles the word for preach here in verse 16 refers to the proclaiming of the good news of jesus before others it's the word "ungalizo" in the greek and it's where we get our english word evangelize So this isn't necessarily the kind of preaching that requires a pulpit and a congregation of Christians, though it must happen there too, friends. But this is ultimately the kind of preaching that's intentionally directed to lost people who need to hear what Christ has done in the gospel and to have their eyes opened by God through its preaching. This is evangelistic preaching. A preaching with the aim of seeing people repent and embrace the Savior in faith who died and rose again for their sin. And Paul was to preach the gospel of Christ to the Gentiles, or to the nations and the peoples of the earth. He was to evangelize all types and in all places. Which is why Paul went from region to region and nation to nation and people group to people group throughout the whole book of acts proclaiming the name of Christ and charging every audience to repent and believe in Jesus to be saved this is why in fact his whole life from acts chapter 9 onward was dedicated to proclaiming that name among the gentiles of the earth that god might open their eyes and reveal to them his glorious You see, God graciously saves his people so that they will relate his son to other people. After all that's been said, it's just that simple. One of the key reasons why God saves sinners is so that those redeemed people would then go and tell other sinners about God's love in Christ, that God, through the telling, would open up their eyes to believe. I love how Donald Whitney puts it in his book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. He says, Sharing the gospel is like walking around in a thunderstorm and handing out lightning rods. You don't know when the lightning will strike or who it will strike, but you know what it will strike, the lightning rod of the gospel. And when it does, that person's lightning rod will be charged with the power of God, and he or she will believe. We don't know where God's going to strike, We don't know where the conviction of the Spirit will come. We don't know when saving faith will occur or when repentance will happen. We don't know, but we tell. That's our focus. We tell. We pass it out one by one, praying all the while that God would strike in his gracious love. Now, I don't pretend, I do not pretend to have God's election all figured out, how arrogant that would be of me to say so. There is so much I don't understand, and I must simply accept in faith because the Bible says so. But I do know this, God wants Christians to share Christ Jesus in order to make other Christians. And that message, knowing that God saves sinners, that he empowers me to go and share with sinners, it doesn't hold me back. It launches me out because I know he has a people he's going to call to himself. And it doesn't depend upon how good I am, how talented I am. He's going to strike with grace and love. This was his purpose for Paul. It is his purpose for me. And friend, if you know Christ, it is his purpose for you. And the motivation provided to us today is not a word of threat. It's it's not a word of threat today, but a reminder of a gift. The context of what Paul had become, a proclaimer, a teller, a preacher of the gospel, the context is that God was pleased to reveal his son to Paul. And the context for why you and I should go to the neighbor, get away from our fear by clinging to the Lord and the Spirit, empowered by the Word, the reason why we should go and do that is because God was pleased to reveal His Son to you and to me. And so I've asked God this week, I've asked Him this morning, i asked Him sitting there, God, would you please overcome our fears, overcome our doubts about abilities, and help us to go and tell. We are recipients of God's grace That is a motivating power for us to get up and go with Jesus. God saves for a purpose. There are other purposes as well, no doubt. But one exceptional purpose is revealed to us here. God saves us so that we would proclaim the good news of his Son to the peoples of the earth. Friends, are you being faithful to God's purpose? To be more specific, God's purpose is that we proclaim the good news of his son to the people around us each and every day. This is why we ask our church family to pray every week, every weekday. We ask our church family to pray at 10.02 a.m. Set a reminder on your phone, 10.02 a.m., pray for our efforts in God's harvest field. And we do that because in Luke chapter 10, verse 2, it says, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So at 10.02, we pray, Lord, send people, send me. Give us a harvest of souls who will come to know Christ. We don't just want, Lord, to see this church populated by people who have transferred from one place to the next, one church to another. We want to be a church that's populated by little baby Christians who are being discipled strong in Jesus Christ. Do that, Lord. So we ask our people to pray. This is also why we ask our church family to seek out and even record through our website gospel conversations with those we encounter in our community. We don't record salvation decisions. We don't talk about salvation decisions a whole lot. We don't emphasize what God's part is. We emphasize what our part is. We leave the saving part to God while striving towards faithfulness to his commission, which is our part. So we're trying to ask you, ask us to go and to tell and to talk to others and then let people know about it so that we can pray. This is also why we implore our church family to know well the four basic points of the gospel. God, man, Christ, response. God, the holy creator God who is marked by his righteousness and his love, his justice and his gracious favor, the God of the universe who created all beings. And then we talk about man, How we were once created, perfect, in God's image, but fell through sin. And now all of us fall short of bringing God the glory that he has deserved, and we all have become rebels to God's will. But then we talk about Christ, the third point of the gospel, how Jesus Christ died on the cross, surrendering his perfect life, which he lived in obedience to the law, in our stead, and rose again after three days triumphantly. Pain for the sins of his people who were so rebellious. And then we talk about response. How as Jesus said in Mark 1, if you repent and believe, you'll be saved. We tell people to repent, to turn away from a life that's directed towards sin and embrace Jesus Christ and all he has accomplished through his cross and resurrection and you will be forgiven and have eternal life with God from this day until forever forward. We ask our people to know the four points of the gospel, God, man, Christ, response. This is also why we have tasked our small groups to pray often for lost acquaintances and to creatively attempt to reach out to lost people with love and gospel truth not to be insulated little groups that never go out and talk to anybody, but groups who love each other, help each other, hold each other accountable, and then try to go and encourage each other to go for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our aim. It's not our aim to have cliques. It's not our aim to have the same groups forever. It's our aim to have groups that come together in prayer around the word of God who work together to grow in Christ and to tell of Jesus Christ. That's why we do them. If it's for some other reason, let's not do it. And with this, God's purpose is also that we proclaim the good news of his son to the peoples of our world. This is why we're committed to the prayerful and the financial support of a bilingual church plant up in Spring Hill. Because we know that there are English speakers and there are Spanish speakers there. And we know that there's a church planner with a team that love Jesus, love the gospel, are so like-minded. And they want to reach those people. And so we said, yeah, we can come alongside. We can give a little money. We can pray. We can go up and help you on some weekends. We want to be your partners. That's why we do it. Because he has set us apart. He has called us. He has revealed his son to us. And he has sent us out. That's why. This is also why we seek to be more intentionally engaged with our missionaries in Southeast Asia, praying for them, seeking to care for them, finding ways to encourage them. This is why we are exploring a missionary partnership with Tiago Oliveira and his church and seminary there in Lisbon, Portugal, so that as he trains up other men, other families to be able to go and have churches, pastoring churches, going and reaching people who know Portuguese and Spanish and English to go out into the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, we come alongside Him, partner with Him to help Him do that because Jesus has sent us out. So come in here on August 27th during the Foundations Hour, before the worship service, when we're going to meet Him through Zoom and hear how God's working through His ministry. This is also why we have joined the Pillar Network, so that we can develop new strategic partnerships for like-minded gospel ministry, so that we can have really close-minded people who get gospel ministry, who get what healthy church looks like, who want to go and work together to help plant and revitalize gospel churches and even reach the nations together. That's why we do it, because Jesus has sent us out. And this is why we are praying. And as hard as it is to see a friend leave, see a family leave, this is why we are praying that God would take some of our membership and he would send them out from us to the nations with our support. Oh, we could dream like everybody else in America who's in an evangelical church and think, Lord, would you make our church massive Yeah, it'd be nice if God would give us more solid people. It'd be nice if God would help us to reach people especially. But I'll tell you what, we need to be more focused on being faithful with what God has given and leave the rest to Him. And what He has given is some people who are hungry, who want to learn, who want to grow, and just perhaps, just perhaps, want to be sent. Which is why we have a pastoral internship with a couple of guys in the hopes that God's going to use them in some spectacular ways that we can't even see right now. Perhaps going to some place where Jesus has never been named. God saves us for a purpose. So let us be intentional about the task we've been given by seeing evangelism as a spiritual spiritual discipline for every one of us here. And let us always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that is in us with those who are around us and let us be frequent in our prayers and fervent in our witness for this is why god has saved us